Father God, we come to you today, um, and we offer our worship. We offer everything we have, which for some of us feels like a lot. Life feels really full and flowing, and we're grateful for that, God. And for some of us, offering everything we have doesn't feel like much, um, but it's all yours, God. So would you help us by your spirit, God, just lay ourselves um, at the foot of your cross today, Lord. Would you use this word to shape us, to guide us, to mold us uh, deeper into your image, Lord. I'm grateful um, for the freedom we celebrate to be able to come and worship together grateful for this church um, and the community we get to serve. It's the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I usually start when I'm teaching up here um, with a joke about how my name is Jeremiah Smith and I'm the senior pastor, but I can't do that today because he's actually here. Um, so my name really is Jason. I really do have the privilege of serving um, in our student ministries, which for us means youth and college. So I get to oversee middle school, high school, and college ministry here at the church. I've got an incredible um, team of volunteers and leaders that help make that possible. So many of you serve in so many ways and parents that are awesome. And I'm grateful to be able to, to come and teach this lesson especially. Um, I've got a lot to say about this. I have notes up here mostly to make sure I don't overshare. Um, so if you, if anything today sticks out to you, if you want to have deeper conversation about it, please um, reach out to me. I would love to continue this conversation about what it means to serve where we're at. Um, I also just love how how this whole thing unfolds because I think you get to see a really fun side of Jesus right here as he's about to ascend uh, I will say today may not be anything you haven't heard before um, if you've been around the church for a while, and I think that's really beautiful. Um, I think sometimes when we hear teachings from Scripture, we can take them as like ethical urgings, like we should have better ethics, our morals should be better. Uh, my prayer for this message is today is that it transforms our imaginations, that we would become people who see the world um, with a holy imagination, and we see divine possibility, like that the Lord wants to actually work in all the areas that we are in all the time. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here with the disciples. So Jesus has, um, he's been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's spent all this time, um, at the end of Luke, it says, giving many proofs of, of his uh, ascension, of his risenness, I guess I should say, of his resurrection. He's given all these proofs, and now we're coming right up to the end of that. This is kind of his last thing to share with his disciples. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. This is verse 4. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him. And they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Lord, is this the moment where you're going to bring this kingdom and I absolutely love it because Jesus does what Jesus does and that he doesn't really directly answer their question. He's just like, I hear you. That's just not even the right question. Let's ask a different question. He, he reframes it. He says, it's not for you to know the day or the times um, the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's reframing their question, and, and he's really trying to reframe it in the light of everything that he's taught them over, over his whole ministry with them. There's a couple definitions I just want to get clear for us here. I don't want us to hear this through, you know, our language. I wanted to hear it through the language it was written in. So when he says, um, you will receive power, um, this is a word that implies might. It implies like action or deed. Like, you will be filled with the mightiness necessary to do these deeds I'm calling you to. It's not just a metaphorical power. It's not like you'll feel strong. It's you are going to be emboldened to actually do things. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be emboldened to do things. They're asking about political power. They're like, hey, is the, is the kingdom coming? Are you going to establish the kingdom of Israel, the political nation of Israel? And he says, you're going to receive power. It's not going to be political power. It's going to be a different kind of power. And in this power, you're going to be able to bear witness. Power is used dozens of times in the New Testament. It's in Corinthians and Colossians and um, Philippians is one that's really notable, that I may know the power of his resurrection. It's the same word, that I might know the power of the resurrected Jesus. That's the power he's saying is available to you, the power of the resurrection. And that in that power... You're going to bear witness. 
You're going to bear witness. Again, this isn't just you're going to speak about. Witness here implies like legality. There's a legal nature to this. You, you will be a witness like you would stand in front of a judge and testify to this thing. You will give testimony out of this power. Like that will be the natural outflowing of this power is that you will bear witness. It's really interesting. This is the same word um, the high priest used when he asked for people to bear witness against Jesus. And then when he even says, oh my goodness, look at what he said. He's bearing witness against himself. It's the same word that was used for Stephen a little bit later on in Acts when he's martyred. The word there for martyrs, this word witness, he testified to with results, with consequences. So Jesus has said, hey, you're looking for a political power. It's a different kind of power. If you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew um, and you want to know about kingdoms and power, Matthew's a really good place to land because Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience and essentially his whole book is lining up the political kingdom they wanted and he's laying that over the kingdom that Jesus was bringing in. He's kind of juxtaposing them together. That's why the birth narrative starts with um, this, this ruler named Herod and these magi. So just for a minute, we got Christmas coming up. We have any like, who's our big Christmas people? Like we've already got our tree up. We're listening to Christmas music. I know you're in here. Where are my people? I see some hands. All right, I love you. I know you might get some shame for the next couple weeks. It's okay, stand strong. It's worth, just hold strong. Martha and I have Christmas music blaring all the time. Um, sorry for the rest of the office. But I say that to say when, when, when the gospels open and they open with the story of Jesus' birth, they juxtapose very intentionally the reaction to his birth. One from a political power, right? You have Herod, and what does he do? He panics. He freaks, and he orders um, the genocide of all these young children out of fear of the political power rising. But then you have these magi who show up, and they recognize there's a kingdom here as well. They bring gifts fit for a king. But they don't panic. They bow down and worship because they understand this is going to be a different kind of kingdom. They bring gifts that anoint. The whole time, Jesus has been saying the kingdom is coming. In fact, it's his very thesis. After he's baptized by John, the first thing it, we have recorded of him teaching is repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. So they're saying is now the time that this kingdom is going to come. And he's saying we've been together for three years, right? Like, well, I'm going to walk you through this one more time. The kingdom is here and it is coming, but it's going to probably look different than you might think. N.T. Wright um, writes a lot about this, and he points out that the words Savior and Lord are political words. Like those words come from uh, titles for Caesar. Um, you know, uh, Jerusalem at this time is occupied by Rome, and so Rome is the head of that uh, region. Caesar's the head of Rome, um, those words Savior and Lord are political terms. But in Scripture, they're co-opted for Jesus, right? It's, it's the saying, the powers that you're looking for are here, but they look different. They don't look like a king on an earthly throne. They look like a king on a heavenly throne. Martha referenced it a, a little bit ago. I think Jeremiah 29 paints a really, really good picture of this. And um, we may not be living in ancient Babylon, but I think there's something really incredible to be said for what it means to, to live in exile, like to be citizens of a new kingdom. The idea that, hey, you're going to contribute to the culture. And I'm saying all this because in a minute, we're going to talk about how that's happening here in the church. We're going to talk about how it's happening in our community, the, the things that are available but if we talk about those things without laying good foundations, again, you're just going to hear a list of things you need to add to your to-do list. And that's not, that's not the intent of this at all. My hope is that when you read this, that the Holy Spirit would do in you what he's still doing in me and began doing years ago by totally reframing the way that we see the world. To understand that we're actually not citizens of the land that we live in. Like we, as believers, we have citizenship in a heavenly kingdom. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And we are sojourners, is what scripture would call us here. We are wayfarers or wanderers here. It's like we're living in exile. Now, I'm, I'm kind of living in exile because I'm from Oklahoma and I live here now. And that's okay. I've learned to love it. I've learned what it means. Um, to be a Jeremiah 29 kind of person, that there's a good work to do in Texas for the Lord. Um, 
of course, you can't really equate what, what ancient Israel was going through here. But the idea that we need to be mindful of where our allegiances lie or where our hearts are really found and what kind of power we're looking to for saving. Because what Israel has said here, what the, what the disciples are saying is we've seen this power. Now come and bring your kingdom and set yourself up on this political throne. And Jesus has said, you have seen the power and you'll see even more of it. And I will ascend to the throne, but it's not a political throne. Your saving won't come from politics. It won't come from cultural dynamics. It comes from on high. Keep in mind where you're a citizen of. You are a sojourner, Psalm 119. You're a sojourner on the earth. We read Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus. Living as exiles means that our spiritual identity is greater than any other kind of identity we could have. So here's what that looks like as believers. It means you're not a blank Christian. Like I meet a lot of students, we talk a lot, it's great. I get to meet so many people through my job, I absolutely love it. And a lot of times we try to qualify who we are right at that beginning, right? Like I'm a, I'm a business major, I'm a this, I'm a that. Well, a lot of times as believers, we want to classify and we want to say, well, I'm a conservative Christian, or I'm a, a liberal Christian, or I'm a this Christian, or I'm a that, and we go through, it's not just political. Any moniker you would put in front of Christian has to be removed. That's what we're saying here. We're, we're believers. Like, we are citizens of, of a heavenly kingdom. And in that, of course, we engage the world. We're going to talk about how we engage the world. That's not just a calling, it's an overflow. But our first allegiance is to the risen Christ. So we are just, we are believers, first and foremost. We look to Jesus for our saving. Um, we do engage the world we are in. Jeremiah 29, that's what he says. All these people who are in exile are like, we can't wait to get out of exile. And the Lord says, you just need to be planted where you are. Do I have a plan for you? Absolutely. Can I work this for good? Absolutely. But working it for good looks like you being invested where you are. He goes on in that passage to talk about building homes and planting gardens, things that take time. Pouring into the culture of where you're at. What does it look like for the kingdom to come? The picture he's been painting the whole time is for us to bring the kingdom here on earth. To be the actual representatives of Christ. To herald his news. So, the kingdom is here and it's coming. It's all ready and it's not yet. If you think of a kingdom like the domain of a ruler's will... Christ has risen. It says in rising, he's defeated the powers of evil and darkness in the world, and he uses us, which is really incredible, kind of crazy, that of all the ways he could do it, he looks at you and says, and you'll be my messenger. You go forth. Being a citizen of, of a new kingdom doesn't mean we're waiting for heaven. It means, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, there will be a day when everything is righted, and like all the tears are wiped away and I know that so many of you long for that day I know that we've, we've experienced things that are heavy and hard and we can't wait and I say to that amen but as believers we are called to bring that heaven here on earth through this power that's available to us to go and be his hands and feet like quite literally to be his hands and feet out into the world so it's all ready and it's not yet I, I told you guys I'm from Oklahoma, <clears throat> and I'm proud of that. I'm very proud of that. Um, I moved to Texas, uh, I guess it was 2016, so it's been a while now. Um, I, I say y'all instead of you guys. Oklahoma's in that weird, like, you can say y'all, you can say you guys. Now I just say y'all. Um, my children have Texas birth certificates, which was hard for me, but it's fine. <laughs> Uh, my marriage license is also Texas. I have a Texas driver's license. I'm here. Um, but you have to understand, being from Oklahoma, Texas is kind of like the big brother seems to always do everything better. And so you're just a little bit spiteful. And, or at least I was. Maybe I can't speak for all Oklahomans, but I was. And there was just no way we were going to move down here. My wife is from Texas. We got married in Oklahoma. Um, so we, or we got married in Texas, but we lived in Oklahoma. Um, we lived there for a couple years, and then um, we had some things happen in our family that just uh, the Lord used to immediately change my outlook. And it wasn't an outlook on the state of Texas. It was more an outlook on, on obedience. Um, 
and I can tell you the clearest I've ever known from the Lord what I needed to do in my life was that I needed to move to Texas. Um, we just woke up and told Ashley we were going to move, and we were public school teachers at the time, um, so for us that meant not renewing our contracts. It was right in the season where we had to say if we were going to continue on for the next year in Oklahoma, so we said no. Um, we had nothing lined out, no jobs, no housing, no anything. But in knowing we were going to come to a new place, it was kind of an opportunity to think about how we engage the place we live. And in doing that, I had heard of this place, Jeremiah mentioned it earlier, called Mission Arlington. I didn't know anything about them other than uh, what my wife had mentioned a couple times, which was that they gave food and things to people that needed food. And I said, that sounds pretty awesome. And so why don't we try to get involved with something like that when we move? Um, I emailed the director because when you're 20, that's just what you do. You just look up, who do I email? And you're like, well, the director sounds like the right person. Uh, probably wasn't the right person, um, but I emailed her and she said, well, hey, if you come down, just pop in and we'll, we'll give you a tour. And that weekend we just said, hey, let's go check it out. And we did, we came down and I walked out of that place knowing I've got a lot to learn from this place, from these people, and we have to come here. I thought what I was gonna be doing was helping people receive food and clothing. I knew that the mission did some Bible study stuff, and so uh, I thought if I can help with the food and clothing, that will free other people up to do Bible studies. I was not a Bible study teacher. This was not part of my realm. I mean, I helped with my like youth Sunday school at the church I was at, but that was about it. Um, and I didn't realize that we were gonna live as missionaries for the next two and a half years right here in the city. Like I was so, so naive and uh, was told kind of that we were being naive, but um, we also just, we just knew that the Lord wanted us to be here. And so we came and I remember receiving the keys to the house we stayed in. I remember walking into um, that house and, and it wasn't anything like I had imagined it would be. And we lived like missionaries here in the city and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And then as we got plugged into the mission and I started doing more things there, I just, I just kept wanting to grow. It just seemed like there was so much available, whether that was helping in the free dental clinic or in the free medical clinic, or it was um, delivering food out to people or helping with those Bible studies. Um, the Lord has blessed, if you've never been to Mission Arlington, you really should go. Um, the Lord has blessed them to have a lot of different properties kind of right there in the middle of Arlington. And the longer I worked, it was like the more keys I was getting. And I would have a key to this building now, and I could open up the Christmas store, or I'd have a key to the worship building, and I could open that up when it was time for that, or a key to the room that all the school supplies was in that we would donate out at the beginning of every school year. I just kept getting all these keys. And I didn't realize at the time how many keys I was getting for like my spiritual walk as well, like how the Lord was really just reframing how I see the world and the ways in which I engage it. Some quick examples of that, Thanksgiving, um, we have any, like, very, like, we're pumped for Thanksgiving. It's coming up. Yeah, I see. Oh, some quick hands. All right. I love it. Yes, thank, it's great. It's there. I'm sorry if I offended you with my Christmas statement earlier. Thanksgiving is part of Christmas. It's just all to get. It's the holidays. I just love it. Um, Thanksgiving is coming. It's around the corner. For me growing up, that meant um, big meals with my grandmother and my extended family. When I got married, it meant big meals with even more pieces of family and juggling where to go. And if you're newly married, you understand that. Like, do we go here? Do we go to this family? How do we make all this work? Um, but always lots of food and lots of focus on family time and eating and being together. Slow days filled with football and so many carbs and they're beautiful. When you work at the mission, Thanksgiving's not like that at all. Have any of you been to Mission Arlington for Thanksgiving? Yeah, it's, it's an incredible experience. If you're in town and you don't eat till the afternoon, again, you should go. Because what, what I would do as a staff person is I would wake up about four in the morning and go to the mission where we would start to get things ready. And we would have hundreds and hundreds of volunteers outside our door by seven in the morning. And we would take food and distribute it all over Arlington, Fort Worth, even parts of Dallas. Um, we'd have these uh, turkeys that had been donated. Everything was donated. Thousands and thousands of meals donated. Um, whole turkeys for every family. A box that had, you know, stuffing, uh, which it's stuffing, it's not dressing. It's stuffing and macaroni and cheese and stuff to make dessert all right there in a box. And we would, um, the cars would drive up. We would load six or seven of those meals into their car with an address of where to go in Arlington. And they would take it and deliver it. We also had people who couldn't cook. And so we had... Um, 
the Baptists, the Texas Baptist men would come and they would bring their big trucks and they would cook all this food. And they have these like disaster relief trucks that they will take down like a hurricane area to cook for people. Well, every Thanksgiving, they show up at the mission, they cook these meals so that we can take hot meals all over the city to places that don't have food. When I'm talking about Jesus calling us to a renewed imagination, that's a picture of it. Like that this holiday that we have could be a blessing to so many people. It wouldn't have to be me focused. It could be outwardly focused. And I can tell you the best Thanksgivings I've spent were spent after knowing that I just spent already eight hours of the day. By noon, you're done. But you put in a full day of just ministering to people. Christmas is the same way. There's this giant Christmas store there. I love my favorite Christmas store story. Um, they've got this, it's a room that's probably this big, just filled with toys, and it's all free. There's no qualifications. You don't have to make a certain amount, high or low income. It doesn't matter. If you need gifts, people have donated gifts, and the thought is if God brought these gifts here, they need to go. They need to be taken. Um, so everyone who comes can receive so many gifts. There's a certain number, um, and it's based on how many people you have in your home and things. But before they do, because um, we want people to have the dignity of going through and shopping, and that takes a little bit of time, while people are waiting, we're talking with them and engaging them. Lots of this is done by volunteers. Every person that comes through that store gets to hear the Christmas story. I'm talking thousands and thousands of people every December come through the store. They get to take gifts, which is incredible, but they also get to hear the Christmas story in their own language. Thinking there's usually like between seven and 12 to 15 different languages spoken. If you need to hear it in a language, they will find someone who speaks that language to deliver the Jesus story. So one year, this woman comes through. Um, she's kind of middle of the pack. She gets there, has to wait a long time. Um, hears the story, gets her gifts, takes them out to her car, and then tries to come back in. And, you know, at some point, we're trying to, you know, minister to everyone. So we have to tell this woman, like, ma'am, you can't, you can't come back in. We're really sorry. If you need additional help... Let us know how we can help you. Let's come aside. Let's talk about it. But you can't just keep coming back through. And she was like, I just, I don't want to go to the store. And we we're like, this is, this is a very long line that's very clearly for this store that you just went through. She's like, no, no, I don't want to go upstairs. I just want to hear that story again. I've never heard that story. This is the birth story of Jesus Christ. Like the story that we all think everyone here has heard. This woman was in her mid-50s, has lived in DFW her entire life. She was, not a, she was not a refugee. She, this was not someone in a different country. This is right here in our backyard. She was, 50, <clears throat> she was 50 years old and had never actually heard that God loves her so much that he would come down and step into all of this for her, that he would make a way through all of it. That's what it looks like to have a renewed imagination, like to see the world differently, not some, not some ethical urging, just this idea that, man, God really does want to minister to his people, and he will do it in a myriad of creative ways. And there are so many ways we can get involved in that. Acts 2, if you keep reading Acts 2, Acts 4, they're a perfect picture of what this looks like. It was like those keys I was talking about, man. It was like the disciples had been given the keys to the city. I mean, they're going through Jerusalem. It says, you know, they're preaching. They're adding to the numbers daily, those who are believing. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to breaking bread together and to praying together. They're selling their possessions so that no one has any need. They're just making these things available to one another. They're just so poured out. And, and it was like power, absolute power of God on display. And in that power, they were bearing witness. Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's a template for how the book of Acts is laid out. And that's what we're going to walk through over the next couple weeks when uh, Pastor Jeremiah is back up here. But here in Jerusalem, it's this idea of being where you're at. Now, there's, there's ethnic Jerusalem when it says you're called to Jerusalem. They were called to ethnic Jerusalem, to religious Jerusalem, to the Jews in Jerusalem. We've unpacked that a lot through our series in Romans. If you have questions about that, again, uh, I'm happy to talk with you or Jeremiah. Um, we have past sermons for that online, um, what that meant for like ethnic Jerusalem. Today, we're talking more about just cultural, um, geographical Jerusalem, what it means to serve where you're at, because this is a call not just for them. But it's also a call for us and where we are to serve. Jerusalem was the epicenter of, of where they were planted. It was the epicenter of their cultural identity. And for us, well, here at UBC, it looks like Fort Worth, right? I mean, 
we are University Baptist Church. If you Google that, you will get so many hits. There's a lot of University Baptist churches in the world, um, in, in this nation. But there's only one University Baptist Church of Fort Worth. That's us. That's where we're planted. It's in our name. It's in our website title, which is why it's so long. We want to know we're in Fort Worth. We're here for a reason, or just this region of North Texas, right? I know we're kind of like Binbrook North. We have a lot of people from Binbrook here. Um, it's this region is where we're planted. Um, our schools and our workplaces, our religious homes, the seminaries, our campuses, our dinner tables. This is the place that we're called to. And we're called to live out in power. Not in urging or obligation, but in power. And what that takes is a holy discontentment with the way things are. Being, being discontent from a holy place. Like you've been, if you're a believer, you've been not just touched by renewal, you've been renewed. And what it means to be a believer is that out of that renewal, you understand what it is to be changed. That like the most broken things, God will take those and make them beautiful and whole. And when you've experienced that personally, as the psalmist says, your cup will overflow. And you'll desire that. You'll be discontent with anything less than renewal in the places you go. Anything less than the name of God being proclaimed in those places. Anything less than putting his glory on display. There's this verse in Zechariah, which I love. It says, uh, it's Zechariah 9. It says, return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. I hope that sometime um, someone comes through this church, maybe as they're passing through on a, a weekend trip or something, and they could just say, man, those people are just so full of hope. It's like they're prisoners to hope. If we're going to be slaves to anything, right, may we be slaves to hope, like to believing that things can be better, to not being... Um, to not being numb to the way that things are or not being disheartened by how it is to the point that we just want to take our hands off, but that we would be prisoners to hope, that we would believe better things can happen because we're doing this not in our own power. We've seen this renewal, having tasted it and seen that it's good. We want to put it on display. So the question is, where's our Jerusalem? Like, where is your Jerusalem? Um... I will make one note here, and then I'm going to just talk about a bunch of things the church is doing that are awesome. That, when I say the church, I don't mean the institution of UBC. I mean each of you. Like the ways that I see you guys up here or the ways that I know of that you're out in the community. And I just want to celebrate them, and that's what we're going to do because the Lord's incredible. But I do want to say this isn't – when we talk about these things, a lot of times we're like we equate where we serve with what we are passionate about. And that's good. It's pretty incredible when you can have your hands invested in something that you're passionate about. But what we are talking about here is more than just like listen to your heart. It's more than just go where your heart leads. Because scripture is pretty clear that sometimes your heart is deceitful above all things. We're talking about a commission given by Jesus. It's that we can't direct this path on our own. Because if we're directing it on our own, 99% of us in here are just too busy. Or just don't feel like we have the resources. No, this is about letting Christ direct where we go. Um, Dallas Willard has this quote. He says, The abundance of God to our lives, our families, and our ministries is not passively received or imposed. It doesn't happen to us by chance. The abundance of God doesn't happen to us by chance. It is claimed and put into action by our active, intelligent pursuit of it. We must seek out ways to live and act in union with the flow of God's kingdom life. We must seek out ways to live and act in union with the flow of God's kingdom life. This is not passive. This is very, very active. And in doing that, here are just some things I want to highlight. Ways in which I see our church, University Baptist Church, serving in, uh, in Jerusalem. And it's, um, well, one, Sunday morning Bible study. Man, we are here together. These doors are open. Anyone can come in here and worship with us. You can come early if you want, you know, lots and lots of donuts and coffee. Sit in an enriched class or come upstairs to youth or go down to the children's area. There's a spot for everyone on Sunday morning here. There's a spot for everyone on Wednesday night here. We have regular Bible study. We are devoted to these teachings and to the Lord and glorifying him in them. There's, there's space. 
um, Martha mentioned how we are ministering to um, this school that we are so happy to partner with, Seminary Hills Park, and the myriad of things that we do over there, like providing resources, um, providing people and manpower when they have projects, just knowing them and being present, having an ESL ministry that's right across the street from them and ministering to those families that way. Uh, we have mom groups that are meeting, whether that's um, at the ELC in our early learning center. Um, we have an early learning center, if you don't know, it's open Tuesdays uh, and Thursdays for uh, children from like really little, maybe six months old, to preschool. That's a ministry. That's not a fundraiser. That, that is a ministry. It is to minister to those families and those children. Uh, Martha has started doing these Moms Connect groups where moms can come in, they can be together, they can know that like this is hard and we're all doing it together and we're doing the best we can. And we're going to make this cool Advent wreath while we talk about our, you know, our love for coffee and Jesus and all these things come together. There's a space, right? There's, um, we have a buddy ministry that we've started here at the church. Sometimes churches um, are, are hard for uh, families that have loved ones with special needs. Um, they're hard to integrate into. Uh, the, the ramp is a lot steeper for those families to get in. And so we've created a buddy, a buddy ministry. And the goal of that is to try to partner with those families to know how we can be a church that serves those people better. We have Renewal, which comes on Wednesday nights um, for anyone is open. Um, Caroline Poe, who was up here doing announcements, has tons she could say about what renewal is and looks like, and it's for everyone in the church. We have children's things um, that happen in those spaces. We have discipleship groups. Um, the idea is that we can be in here together, and you can see and kind of know one another, but you can't intimately know one another, so we have these small groups that meet all throughout the week to get to know one another, to share life together, to honor the Lord together through, through reading his word. We have grocery delivery and food outreach that happens every week. So many of you donate money or you bring in groceries, and there's a bunch of you that come up on Monday mornings and sort those, and then we get to go deliver them throughout the week. But not only is it just taking groceries to people, but man, the drivers see that as their, as, as their Jerusalem. Like those are the people that they are called to, and they get to know those people. Some of those people on those grocery delivery routes have come to faith because their drivers have faithfully witnessed to them through food macaroni and cheese as a gospel tool that's pretty incredible uh our school campuses that we're on our high schools all man we have kids at like a dozen different high schools and middle schools not to mention all the elementary schools represented missional places places we can go and serve and be involved for the betterment of those places um i do the the youth and the college ministry and i wanted to take a minute to just highlight oh that was really far from my face sorry y'all i want to take a minute to highlight um, what's happening in our college ministry, because I share that with people in my circles really often. I don't always get to share it broadly with you all as often. Um, college ministry, the Lord has blessed us in, in some truly incredible ways, um, ways that I, I don't even have time to fully get through here, because I don't know that I've fully processed them, honestly. Um, but I can tell you that almost every night of the week, there is either a small or a large group college ministry happening in this church uh, or through this church. So just to list some of these people that we are uh, grateful to partner with, um, Stumos, one of the, the organizations on campus, um, they meet here on Monday nights. They have leadership training that they do for students. Um, they have big faith conferences that they do. Um, so that's Monday nights. Um, the BSM, Warren Etheridge, who led our worship this morning. Uh, Warren is uh, the director of TCU BSM, um, and he does an incredible job with that. I know Colin, who read the scriptures, involved with them as well. Um, Warren is one of the best um, shaper of people that I've ever met um, and just does it in Jesus' name and it's incredible. But it's not just Warren. There's a whole team of them that minister not just to TCU, um, but to Texas Wesleyan, to other universities here in town where we're sharing the gospel through the BSM in those places. Um, and they, they'll meet here sometimes. They meet out on the campuses sometimes. Um, that's kind of a Tuesday night thing for them. Uh, we have Young Life, which is a group that has a small group that meets in our college house on Wednesday nights. Uh, we have Fellowship of Christian University students um, that have a small group that meets here in this side of the building on Wednesday nights. Uh, Lonnie Holbrook with International Christian Fellowship. I see some of you are like, this is all for college. This is not only for college because you guys are the ones that make this happen. Like, I want to rejoice with you in saying that just, what's today? It's Sunday. So Friday evening... We had over 100 international students in Harris Hall having dinner, having fellowship, and getting to hear the gospel shared by one of their peers from a different country. That's incredible. Like, that's, that is remarkable that those kind of things are happening here in this place. 
Um, we have uh, High Alpha parks with us. They've used our building for different things. We have our own college ministry, which is the table. Um, we're gonna we're meeting on Thursdays right now. We're gonna start meeting back on Sundays so we can bring back dinner. I know, amen for dinner uh, in the spring. Um, if you were to add all those things up, you're looking at, on a minimum, about 400 students a week that are being served through the college ministries happening through this place. Like, we've said, man, if, if we're University Baptist Church, and this is our call, then we're going to take it really, really seriously. And that's not just for the young people here. Like, you guys as a church make that happen. And I want to say thank you, and that it's incredible to be a part of. A couple of years ago, some of those college students... We're, we're um, talking, and there's this growing heart to minister um, within this arena of foster care and adoption in this church, and it's awesome. It's kind of confusing when you're navigating that as an 18 to 20-year-old, because you feel it. You feel the burden for it, but you're not going out to foster or adopt, right? You're in a dorm. You're making ramen in a coffee pot. It's, you're not ready. But the burden was there, and the desire was there, and the hunger was there. And the Lord used it in a way that we had this growing passion. We had students who were willing to read a verse like James 1, 27. They were to say that, man, if, if, if true and undefiled religion is to look after the orphan and the widow, they're willing to read that verse and actually take it at face value. Not explain it away. Again, not take the metaphorical life teaching out of it, but say, no, like, what if Scripture means what it says and we should be doing these things? And how do we do that as 18 to 20 year olds? And then you start to look into that arena and you're like, this is so big. Like foster care and adoption, just in the state of Texas is big, let alone thinking uh, globally. Like it's such a massive thing. We just needed somewhere to start, somewhere small. And small, but not insignificant. And that's where our, our partnership with Hope Local began to develop. Because Hope Local, what they did uh, they have this program called Hope Now, where they take churches and they say, hey, we know it's a lot to look at this arena from a big picture, so we're going to zoom you in. We're going to focus your whole church on one child. We're going to advocate for one child. Now, the heart of, of foster care and adoption is growing. It's becoming a more robust ministry. But man, as college ministry, we could, we could take on one child. And, and if you were here a couple years ago, this was fall 2020, so it's been a while. Um, you might remember, um, here's a picture of a young lady named Monica. Monica was our child. She was the one that we advocated for. So what that looked like was the church pulling its resources, paying to have a really cool video made of her. I wanna be clear, the goal of foster care is reunification with families. It's renewal within those broken systems, right? And it's a broken system trying to do it and it's people, but the goal is to bring renewal and reunification. That's the hope, it's the prayer. Sometimes it's not the reality. Sometimes it just doesn't happen for a whole myriad of reasons. Sometimes reunification in those families isn't an option. And then you have a child that needs a new family and a family that is starting to realize that they need a child. And the Lord is working those things from both directions. Monica was in that situation where reunification wasn't an option for her. Hope Local takes the most vulnerable of children older females and tries to match them up with a family because they don't really have anyone advocating for them and they're about to age out of the system. So what we did was we pulled our resources and um, we made a video. And the goal of this video was to distribute it as far as we could. And actually, I want, I want you guys to remember this. And if you weren't here, I want you to come along on this journey with us because I have some updates. But first, let's watch this video. My name is Monica. I'm 15 years old. I like to do sports, basketball and volleyball mainly, read, and I like to hang out with people and animals. I would like to go to Howard Payne University for college when I get older. I actually want to be a cop so I can save people's lives. I like helping people out if they need help. I would really like to be adopted because it would be life-changing for me and I would love to have a forever family. 
I'd pick a family that would treat me with respect as I treat them with respect and spend time with me. I would like to have a lot of brothers and sisters go get my nails done and stuff like that with my mom. And to have a dad play basketball with me. I think you could pray for me so that I won't get rejected multiple times again. Having a family would mean everything to me. That video was made in the fall of 2020, and we advocated for her. <clears throat> we, we distributed the video as far and wide as we could. Uh, we made masks because this is when the mask mandate was in place, and it was really awesome. We got the mask shipment, and literally the next day, the mask mandate was lifted. So I still have all these masks that say, pray for Monica, if you have something you want to do with those. Um, but the thing is, we were all in. Like, we were sold out. We were, we were ready to go and do whatever we could for this young girl. And I'm so happy and elated to tell you guys um, that Monica has been united with a family. Uh, and this has just happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, 4,208 days in the foster care system. The, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> You can clap and it gives me a moment to choke back uh, <laughs> these tears and emotions because the students who paved the way for this, most of them who uh, put the work in to distribute this, to get this video made, aren't even here anymore. Isn't that incredible? Like that's what it is to be a church. Like someone came in, came in for a season was fully invested to what the Lord was doing here. Now they're in a different season because they're college students, right? Hey, if you're a college student, we want you to stay even after you graduate. But if the Lord takes you to Houston or to Utah or wherever, um, we want you to have served in a way here that you can take that abroad. And they're doing those things abroad, but the impacts are lasting here. And they're not just lasting in our community, but they're lasting in the kingdom. The, the story is very messy as it always is. It's so easy to hear about these things and like fairy tale them, to think that like, oh, we'll just do this and it'll be easy. No, it was really hard. We started advocating for Monica, some things changed with her, uh, her paperwork and where she was at. We had a family interested that then couldn't actually pursue her because the things on her paperwork changed. Um, and then those things changed again, and they changed at the right time, and God had this family for her, and they met through this event, and it's, it's really incredible, and it's beautiful, and it's way more than I have time to share here. But it'd be doing a disservice to make all this sound like it was just, we made this video, and someone reached out. No, it took a long time. It was three years for us. Uh, and who are we to say this was hard? <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't in her shoes. But what it means to be committed to your Jerusalem is to come alongside other people to come alongside them in a way that we believe that there really is hope. Like there is a way out of this. We know it's hard, we know it's messy. And I know some of you are like maybe emotionally conflicted right now because you're like, man, I want to celebrate that, but I just want to cry because of the brokenness. Good. What it means to be a believer is to hold those things in tension. Like what it means to take light into darkness is you're going into darkness. The kind of darkness that scripture says it presses in and it feels like it's binding. But we bear light into those places. So we have hope and we go forth. Out of that um, college arena with the Monica stuff and everything also came the love ministry, which, which those of you who even might be new have heard about um, because we are doing that. It's, it's where you can bring resources here to the church to minister to those families who have endeavored into foster care and adoption. And we take those um, to those families when they have need. Um, if you're interested in that, Chance Hutter, who's sitting down here in the front, he and his wife Jordan lead that ministry. They do an incredible job, and it's been really cool how the Lord has grown that uh, to try to meet the physical and the spiritual needs of those families, um, but really to be a place where everyone in the church realizes there's a role for us to play. That's why we're here as a church, is, is to mobilize each other, to equip one another to go out and to serve. Um, not even here. Places abroad. Well, you just saw two of them, right? We saw Buckner and Hope Local who do incredible work. They'll be in the Welcome Center. Please stop by when you leave. Honor those people for their time here. If you have any kind of pull on your heart, they'll be there. They'd love to talk with you and just resource you. 
like I said, Mission Arlington is, is not a far drive from here. You can serve with them seven days a week, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., especially Thanksgiving's coming up if you have that and want to bring that in. There's the Presbyterian Night Shelter. There's Beautiful Feet Ministries. There's Academy 4. There's Meals on Wheels. There's so many places we can serve. There's your own businesses that you own, mobilizing the places that you have or your tables in your homes, your front door, your neighbors. What it looks like to be engaged in Jerusalem is being really fully invested where you're at. I have so many statistics I could rattle about the number of families facing hunger or like the, the institutes of, um, of poverty in, in, our, in our culture here in DFW. I've got a whole list of them. But if, you, if your mind isn't open to it, then you won't hear it. That's why the gospel's necessary. It's why the gospel's more than just ethical urgings. It's a new heart. Martha read out of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel it says, I'm going to remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. It's renewal. We've got to be a church that's renewed. We've got to be a church that's willing to live a little bit differently. Or, or like a lot differently. To understand that we might have to say no to good things to say yes to better things. Because, again, if you're functioning on like a to-do list... All of this just sounds like, man, this is just one more thing I have to do. The church is always telling me I'm not doing enough. Please, please don't hear that. Please don't hear that at all. The call here is that there's so much for us to do out of the overflow of our heart, but we might have to, as believers, be willing to say no to good things, to say yes to better things, to say no to working like your 15th late night this month, to show up to the dinner that your neighbors have invited you to every, every month for the last two years. To get to know them, to know the people that you're with. You might have to say no to that extra practice so that you can come and put your kids in a faith community where they see there's other kids their age walking out their faith really intentionally. And wrestling with the same questions they're wrestling with. Giving them a space to do that. Jerusalem... And so be kind of the final point as we wrap up here. Was a hard place for the disciples to go back to. It wasn't just like, hey, this is your hometown. It was, hey, this is the place that just murdered your Lord and Savior. <laughs> That's where I want you to go back to. Like the place of your deepest hurt is what Jesus is telling them. The place of your deepest hurt. I want you to go back to that place. I want you to think about how that would land on you. And then understand that in Luke 24, it says the disciples went back with overflowing joy. They went back filled with joy into the place of their hurt because they were bringing this gospel into it. They weren't going in their own power, but in the power of Jesus. You're going to face hostility. You're going to face hardship. For some of you, this might not be like your workplaces. It might be like your mother. It might be broken family relationships. It might be your children. And you're having to hold on to hope for them when it seems like maybe they've lost hope for themselves. Wherever it is, we are called to be present in these places with a an imagination that is renewed, believing that there's hope. I'm going to invite Uena back on the stage. Um, and I've got some students who are going to come help me. They can come up here to the front. <clears throat> We're going to end with um, kind of one final song here and a doxology. <clears throat> and in this song, um, we are going to pass out little keys for you. Um, this is actually a big key. Some of them are very tiny. So parents with littles, be mindful of that. Um, but we've got enough keys for everybody. And I want you guys to take this key, and I want you to keep it somewhere where you'll see it if you can. Like, don't just tuck it away or throw it in a purse and move on. Put it on a key ring, put it on your nightstand or, or uh, on your car dash or somewhere where you're going to see it kind of regularly. And this key, I hope, will remind you of a few things. I hope it will remind you that, first of all, this world is in our home. When you see a key and you think about home, 
I hope this key will remind you that you, as a believer, are a citizen of a new kingdom. And if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, like all this is new and you're kind of learning, I hope this key would challenge you. I hope you see it, and what you see in it is an invitation. It says in Revelation, Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. Maybe you need to open the door for him. So one, man, we're citizens of a new kingdom. But we're here. So two, man, this is, our, this is our temporary home, but it is our home. So how are we engaging our home? There's a bunch, a bunch of ways we could do that. But man, at the very least, we all have an actual home that we can open. And I firmly believe the gospel is going to advance across kitchen tables and across couches, sitting with one another, getting to know the people in our lives. People who we're close with and people who aren't yet believers. Remember, we're not being just driven by our passions here. This is an imperative from Jesus. But he says you can't do it in your own power. So as you process whatever this key means to you, as you pray and you ask God to expand your imagination for the community that you live in, that you could see renewal in this place, remember that it's in his power. It's in his power that we go to bear witness. At the mission, we had this saying. It was, you can tell someone John 3.16 all day long, but if their stomach is growling in their ears, they can't hear you. So some of us are going to be called to maybe spend a little bit more of our time looking at people who might be unseen. But some of us might be called to do a little bit more sharing with our mouth and testifying in that power to the goodness of the Lord. So whatever this key means to you as, you, as you listen to this next song, which talks about going into hard places with Jesus and doing hard things, what I want you to ask the Lord in prayer, you can do it there with your family, you can do it alone, is, Lord, burden my heart for what your heart is burdened for. I don't want to be directed by my own passions. Lord, burden my heart for what your heart is burdened for. That'll be our prayer through this song, and then I'll come up and close this.